It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. I believe my gift is organizing. Mm. If you can consider... Well, it is a gift. Mm-hmm. Having faith is a gift. Right. Those are what I would consider my two primary gifts. Nice. In organizing, uh, you know, to your point as to how do you know what your gift is and you know what happens if you don't utilize your gifts, right? So, I guess I'm fortunate. In the, in, in the sense that because I feel like I have the gift of faith, if I am inspired to do something, then I have the faith that I can do it. Therefore, I do it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do it, that actually will haunt me. Wow. Yeah. Because what I don't want to do is have a scenario where I look back and say, I wish I would have, even though I know I could have. So I, I, I'm more comfortable with trying and failing than not trying and regretting. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons, yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited and so honored to have a good brother here on the show today on How I Discovered My Gift, the show that teaches you how to find your gift, discover it through intervention and your own personal development, then develop it and take it into mastery and then share that gift with the world through distribution. I have the pleasure and honor of speaking with Felix Chevalier today. Thank you for joining us, brother. Thank you for having me. I'm just gonna go ahead and read Felix's bio. Uh, this this is a aspect of what Felix does. We're gonna dive into all of who Felix is and uh, we know there's so many depths to him and so many things that he does, but I'm gonna read to you his bio uh, as it is, as it pertains to uh, the majority of his work in in the legal and internet market en- entry aspect, so the international and domestic market market entry. So uh, Felix is um, he he's the founder of the Chevalier Law Firm. He's an attorney and international and domestic market entry specialist. He guides U.S. and foreign based companies into the Texas into Texas South American. Uh, Central American and Caribbean markets. Felix has worked with companies in a cross section of industries, including energy, manufacturing, transportation, agriculture, engineering, and technology. Past and present clients include AT&T, Southwest Airlines, United States, uh, United States, Corp, Corp, uh, Aramark, HDR, and United Healthcare. 
Felix is adept at facilitating business development and structuring public-private partnerships by leveraging his business, political, and legal experience to advance client objectives. Felix has extensive relationships with the international diplomatic community, government officials, and funding institutions he utilizes for client interests. He's facilitated official delegations and international trade missions, representing companies, local governments, and national associations. Felix has been a speaker at several major U.S. institutions and international industry conferences in Bogota, Colombia, Panama City, Panama, and Havana, Havana, Cuba. He's also been profiled in the Houston Business Journal, Cuba Trade Magazine, Houston Chronicle, and other publications. Felix serves as a member of the Greater Houston Partner Houston Partnership International Committee, Houston Livestock Show, and Rodeo International Committee, and as an advisor to the Caribbean Educational and Baseball Foundation. My goodness, when do you, when do you get time to do anything? <laughs> uh, Felix serves on the board of directors of the Boy Scouts of America, uh, Sam Houston Area Council. He's the co-founder of KEPAC, a political action committee, which convenes business and community leaders with political leaders. Felix is also a managing director at Urban Capital Network, an investment firm providing access to exclusive early stage companies. <clears throat> Felix received his law degree from St. John University School, School of Law, his Bachelor's of Arts from the State University of New York at New Palace uh, College, and completed an executive education program at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. The son of Cuban immigrants, he is fluent in Spanish. Felix is married to Melinda, a journalist, and they have two children. He enjoys co coaching his kids' sports teams, traveling and skiing. Felix is a native New Yorker residing in Houston, Texas, with offices in Houston and Washington, D.C. Amazing, amazing. Wow, brother. Again, welcome to the show. Quite a background. We're so excited to have you on. And you covered everything, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is everything. Man. So, so, Felix, tell us about, you know, we heard the bio, but tell us about the journey. Just what's, what's been the journey of Felix Chivalier just from, from childhood to, to today? In general, well, starting with childhood, uh, as you referenced in the bio, I'm a son of uh, immigrants. Both of my parents uh, immigrated from Cuba. My father was uh, born in Haiti. That's how I get the French last name, Chevalier. My mother, uh, he was raised in Cuba. My mother was born and raised in Cuba, hence the Latin first name. Uh, they migrated to the United States in the late 60s. I was born uh, in the early 70s and uh, grew up in the South Bronx, New York. It was um, really fun times growing up. Uh, I have incredible memories uh, growing up as a kid. Of course, there were challenging times. Uh, it was, was interesting. I didn't, I, di I didn't know I was poor uh, growing up until uh, later when you uh, realize that other ha others have so much more, but you know, being poor is is relative, and it's also a state of mind. That's a that's a completely different discussion. Uh, but the South Bronx, back then, still to this very day, has some of the same soci socio and economic challenges uh, that is still plaguing uh, the South Bronx community. 
unfortunately, I am uh, an exception uh, and, and not the rule of someone who has uh, done well. Uh, and, and, and I say un unfortunately because, frankly, I grew up with a lot of people who were way more talented and smarter than I was. Uh, but circum you know, when you're in an environment where the circumstances are... Uh, create a scenario where you are going to more than likely fail victim to selling drugs or getting caught up in uh, other things that are, you know, th that may lead you towards the criminal justice system. It, it certainly creates uh, an environment where most of the time you're just not going to succeed because of the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate. Um, I had uh, people around me who uh, definitely kept me on course. Uh, of course, very loving uh, parents, mother in particular, who was uh, very, very instrumental in who I am today. But there were many, many other people who were part of my uh, upbringing that deserve a ton of the credit of whatever success I have today. Wow. So with that said, um, what, what did you, what did you find in your upbringing that uh, you noticed was a gift or gifts that you had um, to, that you utilize in your work and the things that you do today? You know, tell us about that experience and, you know, how did you know that you were gifted and what, what are those gifts? I did not know I was gifted or I did not, I should, or, or more accurately, I did not know what my gift was. Uh, that didn't, I don't think I really discovered that until much later on. Uh, give me one second, David. Felix, I you take that upstairs right now. So, um, so I, I, I was very, I was, I was always a good student. So I love to learn, which uh, I still have a passion for learning. I spend I mean, any idle time I have, I'm listening to an audio book or some seminar on YouTube, TED Talks. I mean, all the time, if I'm working out, driving from one appointment to the next, I'm listening to something to, to learn. So uh, I think in, 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 in a, a, a very... Um, strong appetite to learn was something that worked uh, to my advantage. I was also good with people. I've always had good relationships with folks. Um, always had, um, um, was always in interested in uh, interpersonal uh, dynamics and relationships. And frankly, when you grow up in the Bronx, you have to learn how to deal with people. Uh, because if you don't, uh, you will have a lot of problems. So you got to be able to know when to. Oh man, I mean, I, I can go on so many, so, so many routes, but you know, yeah, when, bring it down for people, us. you know, when to, um, I mean, there, there are times when, um, so, you, okay. So you said break it down. So uh, I'm trying to think of an example or multiple examples, but. You know, when, when, when you grew up in the South Bronx, um, you know, I start off with saying I, I had great memories, right? 
um, and I did. I wouldn't want to change them. They made me who I am, pers the person I am today. Uh, so uh, people call it the belly of the beast. I have tons of uh, uh, street smarts, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm very, very comfortable in what most people would consider to be um, not so favorable uh, environments because. <laughs> I was born in yeah, right? I, I, I was born in the hood, right? Mm -hmm. So I know what to look for. Some of these things come second nature to me. So, you know, how to look at someone, uh, why not look well not making it obvious or ways to determine if someone's behind you without seeming as if you're looking. Um wow. how to how to let someone know up front that you're not going to tolerate any nonsense yeah. by being proactive as opposed to being reactive. Mm. Uh, I mean, these things could, I, mean, I can go on and on and on and on. And these are little subtle things that you can do that it doesn't have to be in a threatening fashion, but it makes it very clear that, you know, you're going to have a hard time if you go to come down this path. Yeah. Wow. So all these things in, in, in the environment, actually help to further the giftings and the things that you have inside that they actually helped you in, in, in a way to develop you into who you are today. That's There's no you... question about it. Wow. wow. There's no question about it. So, so, so one way that that has helped me as an adult is I don't really have much fear of, uh, confronting situations. Yeah. Right. Um, or tackling big issues because I had to do that as a young man. Wow. Right? It's almost like a rites of passage, right? right? You are challenged at a very, very young age. And if, you know, it's like almost, I, I don't want to be extreme, but right. to a degree, it's do or die. Gotcha. Right? Can, can so, you give us an example of one, a situation maybe when you were younger uh, that, that, that you, you know, you had to like essentially man up and handle, had to, had to handle a situation. I, so there was this guy uh, in our neighborhood um, who was a bully. And he's, he passed away many, many, many years ago. His name was Michael Rice. Um, it was intimidating, right? And um, uh, I honestly don't remember what the confrontation was about, but I mean, he, he pointed me out, like he singled me out, right? And... Um, now, mind you, this was the bully, right? This is nobody mess with this dude. And uh, I, you know, so many years ago, this is forty years ago, right? Right. Um, but at the time, I do remember, like, you know, look, either you're gonna step up or you're gonna cower down. But you know, if you don't stand up, it's over. Wow. Right? You know, you, you 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 know, and and look, if you if you lose that's okay um but that's not a pleasing situation to look into so make a long story short basically he sent a message it was something like he told me not to go outside that's what he, that's what it was um, as, as we're talking as i'm saying as i'm remembering <laughs> flashbacks like, he tried to punk me yeah yeah he tried to punk me told me like not to come outside which which is ridiculous like you know that's just not going to happen so not only did I, did I go outside i went outside and stood in the middle of the block to basically challenge him and he never came out wow yeah so imagine had i stayed at home 
Yeah. Right. I would have been afraid to come out at all times. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just one ex- small example right. um, of where I had to uh, make a decision whether it was do or die in a sense that if you do go out, you might get your ass kicked. Right. right? At least, you know, people know you're not a punk. Right. Or if you don't go outside, then everybody knows you're a damn punk. Right. True. So so tell me, like, be, being in that dynamic and then how did you get from, you know, doing well in school to deciding, hey, I want to go into law I want to go into this. I want to go into that. What, what, where, where did all that come from? How did you decide what direction you were going to go? And, and, and uh, adding on to that question, um, did you know what you were good at as you were going on that journey? Yeah. So this is pretty easy uh, to explain. Um, so my mother, frankly, instilled in me that I was going to be a doctor, specifically a surgeon. She instilled in me at such an early age that that's all I knew. I, I mean, I, at one point I wanted to be a boxer. Then the idea of getting hit was not appealing. So I scrapped that real quick. Um, uh, I, I thought about being an astronaut because I thought space was just so fascinating. But the one thing that I certainly focused on was becoming a physician. And I focused on that pretty early, all the way up into high school. In fact, the high school I chose had a healthcare, uh, had a program for students who were interested in having a health careers uh, education. Uh, this was at Dewey Clinton High School in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started the program, for some reason I was put in a class three weeks late. I get in the classroom. These were students, mind you, the program didn't start until your sophomore year. These are students I had never seen before. Um, and make a long story short, I was um, frustrated because I was so behind. I didn't know the language, the lingo. They were already ahead. I was like, mm, I'm not feeling this. But I knew I could not go home and tell my folks, particularly my mother, that I was not going to be a physician without having uh, a, a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And so I literally asked myself at 15, what am I good at? At the time, I thought I was good at arguing. So I told myself I will be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I went home, told my mother. She said, okay, and that was the end of the discussion. Wow, wow. She seems to be a big pillar in your success and, and, and who you are today. Am I right in that, your, your mother? Uh, that, that, that would be an understatement. Understatement. For sure. Found, she, is the, she is the key foundational piece. Wow. If I can say that is, um, if, if, if I had to reduce everything that she's done, and I'm sure there are things that she's done for me that I don't even know about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can say that there is one key thing that she did for me was um, set very, um, she, had, she, she, she had certain expectations of me that she didn't waver on. Wow. My mother was very, very liberal, liberal very flexible, um, but expectations of me, they were concrete. That was in stone, that was not, that was not changing. And wow. so as a child, uh, so my mother never had to discipline me because I was more concerned about disappointing her right. than anything else. Right? right? My father, uh, he, he had to put the belt, pull out the belt for me, right? Uh, right. But, but my mother, uh, the idea of disappointing her, mm. just the idea alone, 
was sufficient. So she never had to uh, discipline me. Wow, that's amazing. So she set such a standard and a high expectation of you that you you rose to that expectation and beyond because it's already it was already there. It's like this is this is the bar. You can't. Right. Drop I, I, I knew nothing else was uh, would be acceptable, which is why I didn't. Even, I had I knew I had to have a, have a plan before I told her what I was not going to do. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I, decision, I made that decision in a day. <laughs> wow. And what do you think made your parents and your mother, especially, um, have this standard for you? You know, coming from, uh, you said, from from Cuba um, and, and, you know, coming into this country, what, what, what do you think made her have those standards for you? Yeah, so, so I mean, think about it. So, as I mentioned, uh, both of my parents immigrated from Cuba. My mother actually went to Madrid, to Spain first. Um, she was uh, working as a nurse in Madrid, and then she came to the States uh, seeking a uh, better opportunity. Very reason why most immigrants come to really any other country, and, of course, the United States. And so she wanted better for herself and her family. And like many immigrants, they, you know, they think of America as the place where all dreams are possible. And it was, and, and for her, frankly, it was becoming possible. She moved here, you know, became, you know, she was already a nurse, was gainfully employed. She had a business where she was doing, oh, wow. she had like a small hair salon uh, in our two bedroom apartment. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, I watched the entrepreneurial spirit in oh. front of me um and so i think from her perspective like my kids should do better than me because they are they are in an environment that being america that is better suited for them to do well than uh what she experienced so it, it makes sense to me that she would have that expectation wow amazing amazing we were having a conversation um, specifically on what you believe is your gift. And I've never heard anybody put it like this. And I believe it's a gift, but I I, I would love for you to share. Uh, you mentioned that you're, you're one of your major gifts is a gift of faith. Can, can you talk to me about that and talk to our listeners about oh, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so actually, this goes back to my mother. Mm. So... Um, join a church and um, they they provided uh, like a pamphlet and the pamphlet allowed you to um, where they're basically trying to figure out what's, what were your spiritual gifts mm. right and basically mine was faith and it was of no surprise to me Hmm. Right. It was. It was. A, it was of no surprise. How, how old were you? Oh, this is this is an adult. This is okay. I was thirty-five. Gotcha. Um, and uh, at, so at this point, it's, it's of no surprise to me that that mm -hmm. was that was my gift. Right. Uh, I, I think you develop faith through experiences, right? right? And so, because I had very high because. My mother in particular had very high expectations of me. That means I had to fail a lot mm. in order to get whatever I was aiming for, mm. right? But 
once you fail so many times, you get used to it and you become almost immune to it. Wow. Because you just know it's part of the process, right? So what that mean, what that does also is that builds up your confidence. And when it builds up your confidence, confidence just builds more confidence, right? And so again, going back to what I was saying earlier where you know I wasn't fearful of challenging and things like that because of the environment that I grew up in, I, 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 I already know what it's like not to have, so I'm not fearful of it, mm. right? I'm not fearful of losing because I know what it is not to have, mm. right? And it doesn't bother, well, obviously I don't want to have less or not <laughs> have, right? right. Um, but but the, 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 the reality or the, the, yeah, the reality of it is not as fearful of the perception of it. Mm. Because it's one thing for you to perceive not having and never have, right? That could be greater, right? Because like like in anything, right? You just, like if you're a kid, you don't get a needle. Yeah, it hurts, but you realize it doesn't hurt as much as I thought it was really going to hurt, mm-hmm. or as long as I thought it was going to hurt, right? It's never as bad as it as it uh, as it. Or oftentimes, it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Uh, so, so. Um, because I've had these high expectations uh, that built me up to try a lot fail, 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 fail succeed go through the process again well then after a while like now I know what the formula is the formula is just keep going you're going to stumble along the way but eventually you're going to get what you want that builds confidence so when you see something that's, that seems that uh, that's something you haven't done before. You feel like you can do it. And although you do not have evidence yeah. that it will succeed, you have the belief that it will because you would apply yourself. And that's the, literally the definition of faith, right? right? You have the belief that you can do something or something can be done without seeing the evidence of it in advance. Wow, but but I look at it the di- I look at it a different way, right? I look at it like I already have the evidence, hmm. right? Because in previous times or previous incidents, I did not have concrete evidence in front of me of what I wanted to accomplish, but I have historical evidence hmm. that if I put my foot forward, it will happen. Most of the time, it does not happen when I want it or how I want it, as quickly I want it. In fact. None of the time does it happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> but it eventually does, right? It, it, it right. eventually right? And so all of those things have, have built my faith. And I, and I can't think of any examples, but I am telling you, yeah. I've had so many examples. Oh, man, you got to Where it. I, if I could think of one, I, okay. I'll tell you. Yeah. But I, I, when I say examples, um, what I'm referring to is there had been so many times where things have happened to me and I'm like, the only logical um, explanation for this is God. There's, wow. there's no other explanation for it, right? And it's happened so many times where I'm like, yep, 
you, you kind of just expect it. Just lay the expectation that was put on you. <laughs> You're like, all right. Just yeah, it's like, have to do it's, this it's, it's like, I, <laughs> I know that was not me, right? I know I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it if I wanted it to. I couldn't even think of it, right? I, and I, I'm, I'm sure as we're talking, I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, some example will pop up. But it's literally it's gotten to the point now where I'm not saying I take it for granted. Right. I don't take it for granted. Um, but it's almost expected because it's happened so many times. Wow. With wow. manifests itself, and I'm like, yep. That's it. That's it. There he goes again. <laughs> that it's, is it's, awesome. It's, yeah, yeah. So, so how? But you, you do have to take the leap. You do have to take the leap. You got to put in the effort. Right. It's not going to be. So I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of the, mm -hmm. the, the the difficult parts and stuff like that. Right. Um, but you know, it it will manifest itself, and it may not always manifest the way you want it to, but it always manifests itself. That's good, man. That's good. I know somebody's been blessed by that. So tell me about how you use this gift of faith in 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 business and um, you're, you're an investor, you're, you know, you're a networker, you use it, you know, in so many aspects. So how do you use that in what you do in the work you do? Yeah, so um, typically it's born out of some form of inspiration. Mm right uh so for example you talked about an investment world so that's really my newest adventure um you know outside of investing in a 401k which is passive investing i didn't do anything beyond that wasn't involved in that space or anything at all uh but as you know i'm part of a, a group called stakes and stogies which is a uh, a group of professional predominantly african-american men who get together uh, three times a year uh, sit down, dinner, invitation only. We listen to prominent speakers and we fellowship and talk about economics, politics, and our civic interests. And one of the one of the things we realized that we need to do was great. We have a form. We have a we have the structure in place for the social civic engagement, which is the dinners that we do. But we needed to have a structure for the political part and for the investment part. And so. The political part was easy because we already had a political action committee. It was very easy. We just formally announced that, hey, we have this strategic alliance. The investment part, we were starting from scratch. And um, very interesting, man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you two stories. So um, on the investment part, <laughs> As a result of Stakes and Stogies, I am now involved in two investment groups. Wow. Yeah. One is called Urban Capital Network. So Urban Capital Network um, is, uh, has four uh, partners, Keith Butler, Lenny Cezanne, and uh, Dr. Eric Tate. And uh, we really just had a conversation about, look, uh, Dr. Eric Tate already had his own investment group predominantly um, doctors, uh, uh, Lenny and Keith were friends from New Orleans for years and had had different businesses together. And then Eric and I, um, are, uh, basically, um, we, he and I are involved in multiple things together, key packs, six and stogies, I mean, and urban capital network, right? So almost anything I'm involved in, he's involved in and, and vice versa. So, <clears throat> 
So we all got together and talked about creating something new and that's how Urban Capital Network was formed. Um, the other group was called, it's called Maroon Alliance. So it's interesting how Maroon Alliance got started. Just so happened that both Eric and I were um, both looking at energy related in, in, uh, projects. Uh, he needed, he was looking at some energy related stuff for mm -hmm. his investors. And I was talking to a European company that was relocated to Houston that wanted to have more of a presence in Texas in the oil and gas industry. And I reached out to a friend of mine who was in the industry uh, to just basically learn about what I needed to know as I'm engaging this oil and gas firm out of out of uh, the UK. Yeah. And so um, I, I reached out to Eric. I'm like, look, you, you know, what we need to do is pull together a group of guys who are all in the energy space just to not only learn from them, but figure out where other opportunities make a long story short. Literally after our first meeting, it was 12, 11 of us now. Um, I, I, as a result of our first meeting, uh, that ended up creating an investment group. Wow. Uh, and we actually made an investment uh, in a uh, blockchain technology company before we even formalized the investment group because the opportunity came up so fast. Yeah. Wow. So, <clears throat> so uh, I, I've been very fortunate to be around people who are pretty smart, who are um, kind of centers of influences in their respective domains. And I can tap those folks uh, to advance whatever agenda we may have where uh, our agendas are aligned. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. So, so Felix, tell me also about, you know, because we, we with this show, we, we try to help the younger generation. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, you're not young, man, you're not, you're not young. You know, you're young and, and I'm young and, and we're all young. <laughs> but we're trying to help the younger generation with the fact like, like your kids, right? Like thinking about your, your kid, your two kids, if you were to get them on the path of discovering their gifts, what are the things you would do? to help them find it. Maybe you're already doing some of these things already. Maybe you've done a lot of things already, but what, what would you, how can one, because I didn't learn this in school. I'm, I'm, and I, I know you didn't learn this in school. You learned this, you know, maybe at school, but not, not because of school, you know, um, you, you find these things by stumbling and learning and bumping your head. But if you were to proactively intentionally help your kids discover their giftings, and, and I'm sure you do this, but how do you, what would you do? And how do you do this? And how would you encourage other parents or other people to do it to themselves to find their gifts? Yeah. So my, my kids, uh, my daughter is 10, my son is eight. And uh, I can easily answer that question because I'm proactively doing that with my children. So um, I, my daughter is probably the better example because she's a little bit older. Um, so... For example, my daughter is good at sports. Um, so I force her to play different sports, mm. right? Even sports that she doesn't want to play. Like I made her play volleyball. Like I make them go play golf, right? Um, but she has a passion for basketball. Wow. Right? But we discovered that by exposing them to 
different sports. Mm. And, and even when she locked in on basketball, I still forced her to do other sports just to make sure. And now, yeah, and, and it, now we know because she still gravitates back, back to basketball. Now she's doing AAU basketball, which is crazy. Um, wow. uh, but so, so that's an example with her, at least from a sports perspective. Um, the other, uh, and we would do the same thing in, in other areas, whether it's academically or just, just doing other things. I think the biggest thing, the easiest, uh, it's not easy, but it is simple. The simplest, the simplest approach is exposure, that's right? Key. Is, expose, is exposing them because how do you how are you going to know what your interests or gifts are if you don't ex, are not exposed to the things that may pique your curiosity and interest right uh that's that's the simple answer it's not easy though right right so right. i'll give you an example right i'm so i'm trying to instill entrepreneurs uh, um, i'm trying to instill in my children that they need to um have their own hustle right yeah right? i want them to be entrepreneurs in fact the way i talk to them is the way my mother talked to me right wow. and what and like i kid you not um my it's funny i didn't realize this until many years later my my mother not only told me i was going to be a doctor she would always say to me you're going to have your own office wow so i wow. never envisioned me working at a hospital never envisioned it Wow. Right. She always, cause she would say like, okay, you would, she would say you would have your own office. Right. 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 So when you're told that you don't know any different. So it's right. funny as we're having this conversation, I'm just realizing that I never envisioned myself being a physician in a hospital. Look at that. Never. Wow. That just dawned upon me. Right. Awesome. So, 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 uh, so I'm telling my kids, you know, you should work in corporate America, uh, but you definitely need to have your own uh, business along the way, right? Like right. my daughter's big on basketball. I'm like, that's good, but just remember, you can also own a team as well. There you go. Right? <laughs> you can talk about Steph Curry and LeBron James and how much money they, they're making, but sweetheart, what you need to understand is somebody's writing them a check. Mm. And ask yourself, what position do you rather be in? Wow. Right? That's cool. So, so um, now here's the hard part. You have to deliver on when they want to explore. So, for example, um, uh, at, at our church, we do Lemonade Day. Mm -hmm. right? So kids now know how they, they know they can sell lemonade, right? So they're like, Daddy, take us to Target. We want to buy the mix because they want to do it. And, um, and uh, but now... On random days, they want to go sell lemonade. Right. I gotta work, right? But I can't <laughs> keep saying no all the time, right? Otherwise, right? you stifle the gift, right? That's, that's right. So here it is. One day, I, I'm like, okay, let's get the stuff. Then like, we got where are we gonna sell it, right? So there's not a lot of traffic in my neighborhood, so that's not a good place to do it. So my son is like, let's go to Target. I know we can't sell lemonade at Target, right? <laughs> I know that, but I still got to go anyway. So here's another thing I do. I, I take him to Target, but I make him ask the manager. Mm -hmm. so, I know the manager's going to say no, but right. I'm also teaching him to approach people. Wow. Right? That's, that's and great. to approach adults. 
Wow. Right? Because I'm using his desire for something as a means to educate him on how to execute what he wants. Mm. Right? Um, you should write a book on this. This is gold. Parents need this. So then um, he's like, oh, we can't do it there. So he's like, let's do it at the gas station. I'm Mm. like, oh, God. (laughs) I don't want to go to the gas station, man. It's hot outside. In Houston, it's hot. Right? Um, uh, But I got to take him to the gas station. Right? And I make him ask the, the proprietor, hey, right? No, you have to ask him. Here's what you ask him, right? I tell him what to say, right? I mean, he's getting rejected. I know he's going to get rejected. Mm. Um, uh, but I let them know that that is fine, right? And then sometimes I'll do things where uh, um, and, you know, my, my kids are creative. Like, they literally create a restaurant out of stuff in the pantry and then sell it to my wife and I, right? Like, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, and, and they'll, sell it to the, they'll, sell, they'll sell stuff to our neighbors. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So this is amazing to me, right? Because you, you, you've achieved a great deal of success. Um, and I can only imagine the, the level of success your children are going to achieve because you're giving them even beyond what you had and, and giving them even more with this like intentionality driven focus to help build them and build their entrepreneurship skills and build their people skills and all of those things. Um, so one thing I want to ask you is being, because a lot of people would say, you know, they probably see you Felix and they think, Oh, okay. You, you got the, you got the ESQ tied to your name. Uh, you, you know, you're, they categorize you just lawyer, right? But you're obviously more than that. And, and you, how do you, how do you stay out of boxes where you're, you're placed into, obviously you do great work in that field, in the legal legal realm, and you can use that the legal components to help people in, in service. And we're going to talk more about the services you provide. But how do you keep your gift from being boxed in? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's not easy. Uh, because people automatically put you in a box once they know, especially when you have everyone you knows you're a lawyer, they put you in the lawyer box. Right. But there's also a gift in being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. The gift of being a lawyer is that um, it frankly does have cachet. It gives you, um, or, or a better way to put it is it gives you instant credibility, right? Mm-hmm. So lawyers work in various industries. Right. They work in politics, they work in business, they work in an investment world. So, yes, I may at first blush be put into a box, but then when uh, I share with them what the interests are and things of that nature, uh, they then understand, oh, okay, he is a lawyer, but he's also interested in investments and understands it. Mm. And because of my legal background, I'm in a position to, frankly, at least for me, um, one of the one of the biggest benefits of uh, being a lawyer, more specifically, going through legal training, is that you learn how to learn. Hmm. Yeah. Steve, tell us you about learn how to learn. So. 
so we'll finish the point yeah. uh, first. Um, so about the box, um, yes, I'm first put into a box, but it doesn't take long for me to, for people to see that I'm not going to be constrained to the box. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to your other question about law school, uh, law school is, in my opinion, is largely teaching you how to think differently. And they force you to think differently because you will be put in situations where you will have to argue both sides of the same argument. And you're oh, great. I didn't, know, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you ever heard of, uh, you ever, ever heard of like moot court competitions? So a moot court competition is basically uh, a fake trial where you may be advocating on any, you pick any issue, right? It's typically the hot issue of the times and um, uh, you have to argue it. And sometimes you can be not only intellectually aligned with something, but typically we're emotionally aligned with a position. And then you are forced to argue the opposite side. Whoa. So think about any, pa any issue that you're really passionate about, that you're really adamant about. You know, the topic today is we're talking about reparations, right? As a African-American man, right. uh, you might be saying it is a no brainer why we should have reparations in the United States. Look at the 400 years of, of uh, 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 the plight of African-Americans at the hands of institutionalized racism. Mm -hmm. In law school, they will make you argue against it. Whoa. And it's not about how you feel about it. It's about can you wrap your brain around the arguments that will counter the argument I just made to you and your grade is contingent upon it. So are you, so it forces you to remove yourself emotionally from the issue and look at it from a logical perspective and it forces you to essentially be more objective. Wow. So you could be able to analyze it and hone in on the issue itself. That's profound. I never knew this. I'm, I'm, I'm like learning so much right now as we're talking. So, um, sorry. That's all, that's all good. The, the, the little noise. Good. That's all good. I, I, I'm going to pause real quick because I'm, I'm going I'm to cut this in editing. I need to go tip. Mom is here and she's just using the <laughs> blender and just. She's, she's doing what moms do. Yeah, yeah. I'll be right back, brother. Sorry about no, that. No worries, man. No all worries. Right. Thanks for holding, man. Sorry about that. Moms was uh, trying to like use the blend tech and blend everything. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, back to what I was saying about learning, uh, what you were saying about learning, uh, a, a critical po component of your gifting is, you know, you can have the gift of faith, right? You can have these gifts of, because you're also uh, really talented in organizing and putting things together. Um, but if, if if one doesn't develop it, it's really almost pointless, right? So develop, they don't develop like, what? If they don't develop their gifting, like they continue. Oh, to, I, oh, oh to, I agree. To, to I master agree. it. So, so how did you develop your giftings and your gifts? Okay, so, um, huh. so 
I believe my gift is organizing. Mm. Right. If you can consider, well, it is a gift. Mm-hmm. Having faith is a gift. Right. Those are what I would consider my two primary gifts. Nice. In organizing, uh, you know, to your point as to how do you know what your gift is and you know what happens if you don't utilize your gifts, right? So I guess I'm fortunate in the, in, in the sense that because I feel like I have the gift of faith, if I am inspired to do something, then I have the faith that I can do it. Therefore, I do it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do it, that actually will haunt me. Wow. Yeah. Because what I don't want to do is have a scenario where I look back and say, I wish I would have, even though I know I could have. So I, I, I'm more comfortable with trying and failing than not trying and regretting. That's awesome. Awesome mindset. It, it just, it's just experience yeah so how did you intentionally so law law school sounds like it was it was also a training ground for developing these things what other ways did you develop yourself that are outside of school that i know you said you 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 really pour into yourself from a personal development standpoint you're also a major networker how did you how do you develop your giftings or your gifts like on an intentional basis and how how would you advise others to do the same when they find their gifts to to develop them you know we're we're having this talk right and i you know i i didn't look at it as all right here's my gift and let me deploy it and you know i just didn't i didn't that would sound good but i that's not what happened Mm. right um in in hindsight i realized that my gifts were serving me. Mm. I didn't realize it at the time that right. I, because I was just acting on what I thought needed to happen. Right. right? So I can give examples of, um, well, let me back up a little bit. So the, the, the gift of organizing was not something I believe I necessarily thought of but I was inspired because I was a part of someone else organizing that inspired me. Right. Right. So for, I'll give you exactly what it was because it, it, it literally was an inflection, an inflection point in my life. So uh, in college, this is my first semester, sophomore year. I just pledged Alpha my freshman year. Hey, hey. Uh, college. That's right, brother. Um, <laughs> Just pledged my freshman year. Wasn't supposed to do that, but I did it anyway. And um, the the following semester, I'm bringing this up because this is this happened in a chapter meeting. So mm. we had our first chapter meeting of the year, and the brother who was my dean, Anthony Wynn, had been the first African American president of the student association at the State University of New York College at New Paltz, where I went to college, mm-hmm. and. When he was the president, it was great that he was the first black president, but there was not much he was able to do because it was just him. Mm. So fast forward a few years later, 
you know, I had 11, I had 10 line brothers, so 11 of us. Um, you know, we had a bunch of alpha angels. So literally in our first meeting, he says, you all are going to run for public office. I mean, public office. You all going to run for student student body, uh, uh, student association positions. Uh, and uh, there was a sister by the name of Toy Carter who was running for president. So he was like, we're going to run, basically run for every other position except president. So he, he said, Felix, you're going to run for executive vice president. Um, Another one of my line brothers, you're going to run for this. One of my alpha angels, you're going to run for that. He basically told everybody what position they were going to run for. And it wasn't a debate. We were uh-huh. told, right? Uh-huh. And we did it, and we all won. Whoa. We took over the student government. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't no rah-rah, you know, Black Lives Matter. Right. It was like, here's a plan. We executed it. It was done. We controlled the $800,000 budget. Um Everything went incredibly well. Uh, we were able to make sure that uh, the uh, that all organizations got the equitable share of resources that they needed. Uh, I was able to get a stipend, which was for a college student. That was great, right? Was, yeah. I got some money. I got an office. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was great, right? Uh, that led to me... Uh, being, I, w- I was automatically a member of the United States Student Association. As a result of that, I had the opportunity to apply to participate in a highly coveted opportunity to uh, participate in an exchange program in Cuba. As you can imagine, they had tons of applications. I was one of 13 students in the country to get accepted, went to wow. Cuba. That was another paradigm shift. So I'm sharing that story because... I saw the power of organizing mm. as a result You're of exposed. Like I you was, mentioned, I was exposed. Mm. I was part of someone else's plan who basically told me what to do. That was in one meeting, one meeting that organ that is what set everything off. So at a young age, I saw the power of organizing. And I was a direct beneficiary of it, and it wasn't even my thinking. Wow. Right? So you're right. I was exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And so that stuck with me. So I knew the power of organizing. And then I guess I deployed my gifts of networking, being able to connect with people to organize for whatever agenda we may have to advance that agenda. That's that's awesome, man. It's like all the pieces are coming together. Everything is like Yeah, and sometimes wow. and sometimes you don't know how those pieces are gonna come together or how they're gonna benefit you, right? So right. fast forward, I go to um I go to uh, I move to Houston. Uh this is when uh, this is oh in, in two I moved to Houston in ninety seven, but in oh four, John Kerry and George Bush are having a presidential debate. There was an ad that came out called the Swift Boat ad that theoretically got credit for knocking John Kerry out of the presidential uh, race because he attacked his his um, military career. And uh, some friends of mine and I started a political action committee. And the objective was to pull money together to give to candidates who we thought were going to provide good governance. Right? That was... I was doing that purely 
out of goodwill for a greater good. I just believed that it's something that needed to happen. And, you know, I, I definitely come from the school of thought of, uh, if not us, then who? Mm. Right? Like, I'm not going to wait for Joe Blow to step up and, right. nah, I'm just not doing that. Just right? Yeah, just to make it happen, right? Yeah. And so, and so, to make a long story short, four, five years later, that same political action committee or the activity that I was doing as a result of that political action committee is literally uh, was the jet fuel for my law firm. Wow. Yeah. Because, yeah, because as a result of that, uh, I helped someone run for mayor. That person actually lost. The person helped lost. Uh, but because I sold so much into that candidate, the people from the other campaign knew it. And I say, it was me and some other guys. Um, they actually had us serve on the winner's transition team, the one person who actually won. Uh, the role I played, I was interfacing with a lot of the corporations around the city's small business program. So when the administration, the administration started rolling out and people were looking for, when corporations were looking for someone to uh, um, represent them at the city, I started getting the calls. Wow, but all of that was predicated on, the, on what I was doing four years earlier. Look at that. The dots connect. So, so tell us, because I know, I know I'll respect your time. Tell us about international market entry and how this weaves into the whole picture and how you're uh, you know, essentially marketing your gifts in, in this arena too. So. so so funny thing, it's funny that you asked this question at this point because you, somebody was like, well, what is a political action committee? You know, the political action committee is directly tied to what I'm doing in the international market. It is, it is directly tied to it. It's the, it's the next evolution of it. So to give you a little bit more color, um, so I started the political action committee. That's what got me involved in politics in Houston. Because I got involved in politics in Houston and was giving uh, money or connecting with elected officials, that got people's attention, right? Which got me to the point where I started working with, got the opportunity to work, serve on a mayor's transition team which exposed me to all these major corporations, which then allowed me to start representing corporations to the city of Houston when President Obama uh, announced that the United States and Cuba were going to start normalizing relations. Those are the same companies that started asking me, hey, how do you get into Cuba? And the, and the reason they started asking me that was because just like I'm sure you do, well, we did, right? You break bread with your friends, with your yeah. clients, right? Right. Uh, they get to know you, your family, your background, your interests. Like, I know you're looking to do right. stuff in, 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 in the continent of Africa, right? right. You learn about what people are doing. Well, uh, I'll share with them, you know, Spanish is my first language. My parents are from Cuba, you know, the whole nine yards. So when that happened, I was one of the few people who they knew had even had a Cuban background, let alone been to Cuba. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, um, I had enough clients asking me about 
how to get into Cuba. I didn't know how. He has that faith. He has faith again, right? Ah, there it is. I knew it come. I knew it come. (laughs) I had no idea, right? By that time, I've been to Cuba twice, Mm. right? When I was a student um, and then back in, I think, um, 09, I went. and so still have family there, the whole nine yards, but not as a whole other world, right? Now you're talking about you're talking about doing commerce with a country we've had an embargo with for 60 years. Whoa. Right? So at least at that time, embarking on 60 years. So <clears throat> I um I knew what I need to do. I need to go to the country and figure it out. So that's exactly what I did. I found out when there was gonna be a conference. Uh, uh, there was an energy conference that was going to take place and I decided I was going to go there and that's how I was going to start meeting the people. The, the beauty of, you know, uh, uh, of Cuba is that because it is a communist country, all the industries are run by the government. So if you're going to have a conference on energy, you have to have government officials there because the government runs it, right? So I'm thinking... I'll go there, I'll start meeting the people, and I'll figure it out from there, right? Mm-hmm. Never talked about doing business in Cuba, uh, but here's an opportunity. So I felt confident enough that I'll figure it out. I know I don't know, right? But I'll figure it out. Here, so here's how God works. Uh-huh. I, I had a client, um, that was um, uh, the largest exporter of liquid petroleum, petroleum gas products in the United States, okay? Yeah. And um, I would do um, some transactional work for them. Nothing in the international space. It was small transactional work for this uh, large um, uh, oil and gas company. I'm sorry, it's not oil and gas, uh, liquid uh, natural gas and uh, LPGs. And so um, the guy who was my point of contact, he was really more of a friend than a client. He was a friend mm-hmm. first, became a client as well, but really more of a friend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one day we, we were talking, let's catch up, let's go, let's, let's, we plan to have lunch, we sit down, he's talking about, he's sharing with me where he and his wife had just came uh, they, about their trip, they did some traveling. He asked me where was I going to be traveling to next. I said, mm, I'm going to be going to Cuba in a few months for this conference. He says to me, I've never been there. And this guy has traveled the world. Like he's done work in Russia. I mean, the whole nine, right? Yeah. So, and so, um, and so, <laughs> um, he says, you mind if I join you? Now, mind, I didn't ask him, mm. right? He asked me, if he can tag along on my trip to Cuba because he wants to go to Cuba, right? He wants to experience it, right? Yeah. I told him I was going to this energy conference. He's like, you know what? I think that would be a good way for me to um, experience it, right? So he agrees. He asked me, I'm like, of course. He joins. Make a long story short, he gets there. We go to the conference. He's like, we can sell LPGs to Cuba. They're going to need LPGs. That's again, liquid petroleum gas products. Think of propane. Propane is, yeah. propane is an LPG. Yeah. Um, he says, we can sell LPGs to, to Cuba. Make a long story short, we started the process and got the proper licensing to export LPGs to Cuba. What? 
Yeah. Now that process took two years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm glossing over it, but that is what catapulted me into the international market. Amazing. Right. Wow. Now, now I'm just like weaving this whole journey. Right. You, you start. Uh, you know, it's funny. It brings you back. Your, your parents left Cuba. Right. Yep. Uh, you come to the come to you come to New York. Come to the Bronx. You learn these skill sets that toughen you, that, that make you good with people. And then you, you, you take those skill sets and you go into school, you do well. And then you have the expectation. Mom says you're going to be a physician. You said, no, I'm, uh, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to I'm gonna be a lawyer. I'm good at arguing. And then you go from there into law school, learning how to learn, how to train and develop yourself. And, and, and you're also, I, I think I'm missing a, a portion where, where you went to, uh, where you were, where you were in with the fraternity, and you're exposed to organizing. It's like every single dot in your journey has made it to where you are today. You take in the consideration of the, the mayor, the campaign, and everything. I'm just weaving this for the audience to understand, like it is a, a complete journey of discovery. You know your gifts and your talents, and 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 how they align into your ultimate. Uh, purpose and and it's a beautiful beautiful journey you've been on um and and that brings me to another question um which is the the the, the tough question i ask to everyone at the end of the show is felix how do you know or or what is the difference between one's gift and one's purpose how do you know what's the oh difference oh, oh yeah that's also that to, to me that's to to me that's easy now okay i've probably been difficult before right so you to me a gift is something that you have it comes easy to you like networking connecting that comes easy to me that's 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 uh innate to me mm-hmm. right i can um I, I i think i've been good at it, developing interpersonal skills i just happen to use it for my purpose mm. You follow me? Yep. But there are other things I have to use, things that I'm not gifted at. Right? I have to do things that I'm not gifted at, or better yet, I have to do things that I don't feel like doing mm. to advance my purpose. Wow. Right? Mm. So so to me, that's completely two different things. Mm. Completely, completely different. Right? Mm. And, and, and you didn't ask the question, right. uh, but I'll answer it anyway. Awesome. And, and, and the question is, then what is the purpose? Yes, what is your purpose? Right, right. right. So for me, for me, and, and look, I didn't realize this until until I was in my forties. Mm. Right, I'm in my forties now. Um, I didn't realize this, and it all centered back to advancing my community, African American community. Wow. Right, hands down. Because what I realized is that everything that I do is tied to that. Wow, not forget the stuff that I do where I'm making money, right? Yeah. Representing clients like that's that's to that's to provide for the family, myself, and and be able to live, right? Yeah. But when I look at my extracurricular stuff, it's all tied to advancing the cause. Wow, because that's what really moves me, right? Yeah. That's the stuff that I that's the stuff that I was doing, whether I was going to get paid for it or not. Wow. Right, and and, and 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 in my mind, that begs the next question. Well, well, then why, right? Mm, right. And then for me, the why is because 
I have, I have been very fortunate, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like, you know, I talk about my, you know, we're talking about my talents or gifts or whatever it may be. But I had a lot of help along the way, mm. right? So this concept of, you know, self-made men yeah. is bullshit. I believe it. I believe it is, that. It is, it is utter bullshit. I believe that 100%. Nobody who was self-made. Right. right. I had teachers who sold into me. You heard me mm-hmm. talk about my mother. I mean, my mother's still sewing into me. Right. Mm-hmm. I had friends who sold into me, neighbors who sold into me, mm-hmm. people who uh, are considered bad people sew into me. Right. Drug dealers sew into me. Right. Making sure, hey, shorty, stay down the right path. Right. Or, or times when I was about to get my ass kicked mm-hmm. and somebody intervened on my behalf, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Or, I mean, there's so many, so many examples of how I could have went down the wrong path or could have made a bad decision or, or uh, uh, things that could have easily derailed me um, where I could have went down the wrong path. But even before that, I should say in addition to that, there are people who um, have made sacrifices that I benefit from, right? That I will never meet, whose names I will never know, that made life easier for me. Wow. Right? Right? I mean, think about everybody who participated in the civil rights era, right? Mm-hmm. Think about people who advocated for things like the Pell Grant. Right. Right. That I was able to benefit from. Sure. You know, I went to a school that had a black dorm at a predominantly white university. Wow. I didn't create that dorm. Wow. Right. I, I, I didn't. I never stayed in. I, didn't, I never lived in the dorm. It was called Shango Hall. Right. But that's a black dorm. We had a black studies department. Wow. Right. I was able to, to double major in political science and black history. Mm. There were people who put that in place. Yeah. Well, before I even knew this, the university existed, and I just step in and take full advantage of it. So essentially, you're 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 you feel like your mission is passing the baton on to to the next to the next. No, there's oh. there's no question about it. Wow, there's wow. no question about it. In fact, That's... my contemporaries and I talk about that all the time. Like we we are intentional about it. We just had a conversation about it three days ago. Look at that. Yeah. So the pack that I referenced earlier, key pack, it's called. um, We intentionally um, bring in younger folks so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Wow. Right? Sticks and stogies that I referred to earlier. It is intentionally intergenerational. Smart. Fathers bring sons and sons bring their fathers. Wow. Right? So so all this is intentionally intergenerational. So folks do not have to recreate the wheel. Cause trust me, you got a lot of uh, headaches along the way, yeah, right? And, and frankly, we did it because we we realized that there was a gap that needed to be filled, and so we just filled it. Amazing! Wow, Felix, this is powerful. I, I mean, you know, we've had a lot, lot of conversations, but I learned so much in this time here today that I that I didn't know before and I know that the listeners are 
are, are, are going to benefit. Two things I want to do. Uh, first thing, Felix, is um, I'd love for you to share, if you could share one more final thought with the audience. And then secondly, I want I want you to share about your, um, you do, you have so many endeavors, but what, what aspect, whatever you feel you want to share for those that could utilize your services from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. So, but, but yeah, first your final thoughts and then secondly, your, your services and how people can get, get, get to know you and get to work with you. Any particular final thoughts? Yes. Any, anything that just like, you know what, I, if, if I was to speak to uh, a, a million young and middle-aged listeners, <laughs> what would I say to them about their gifts or life in general? Would be your so, so I would start with assuming that, let's assume you don't know what your gift is. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you don't know what your gift is, try everything. Mm. And then what you'll do is learn what you don't want along the way. Mm. And you'll get closer and closer to what your gift is. That's good. That's good. You're, because if you don't, if you, it's almost like saying, well, I don't have a goal. Okay, well, then your goal is to get a goal, right? Figure out what you don't want to do. Or like when I talk to younger folks who are thinking about, um, you know, they want to they go into a legal profession, um, but they don't know what they want to practice. I say, perfect. Volunteer, providing services, you know, particularly if you have a golden opportunity to work at a big firm that has different areas of practice. Spend time in various areas and look, go do some intellectual property work you you may realize you want no parts of it good <laughs> that's a good thing because because i'm gonna tell you what some people do is they just fall into something wow and then they become proficient at it but that doesn't mean they're passionate about it Ooh. and then they end up staying in it because yeah. they try to maintain a lifestyle with something that they're proficient at but they're not purposeful about or they don't it's not part of their purpose so so it's better to figure out early on whether or not you do or don't not knowing is just as just as as valuable if not more valuable (laughs) because what you don't want to do is have a career in something that you just are proficient in but not uh um don't really enjoy Amazing. That's sound advice. Listeners, I hope you're taking notes. I hope you, I mean, goodness, you should have a page of notes from, from the wisdom that uh, Felix dropped on you. That's gold. Uh, I wish I had this advice when I was growing up. Man, seriously. Um, so the last thing, Felix, is to share what, you know, how can people get to work with you and, and, and some of the work you do and, you know, your potential clients and things like that. You know, anything you want to share to those listening that could be a good fit for you. Sure, sure. So for those uh, folks who are particularly interested in work in the uh, uh, expanding their businesses, whether it's in the Texas market, uh, the Caribbean, South America, or Central America, they can just go to felixchevalier.com. They can download a PDF that kind of provides them a guide on some of the things they need to be uh, cognizant of. And if they're uh, really interested in pursuing uh, an opportunity, then they can just go in there. They can schedule uh, a consultation and we can go from there. But FelixChevalier.com, F-E-L-I-X-C-H-E-V as in Victor, A-L-I-E-R.com. And uh, 
that's the best way to start. Superb. I'm going to make sure we have that in the show notes so people can take advantage of that and, and, and get to learn more about your work with you. Felix, such an awesome pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for the value you've shared. I was blessed and encouraged by it. I know those listening will experience the same thing. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons.